I changed it this morning. But I think we'll be good. We're going to read um, verses 1 through like 14, 15, somewhere in there. And then we'll get started. So the Bible says in Joshua 24, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Sechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zephor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over to the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gigrashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, but I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. So last week when Johnny was up here speaking, I, I, he kept talking about John 3.16 and, and our commission to go out and to evangelize and to preach the gospel. And for me, I heard you know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I thought about that for a little while, and, and, I, and I got to thinking... Okay, so Johnny's talking about what God did for us. And as I look here in Joshua, Joshua, this is like the end of Joshua's life. He comes and he gives his, his farewell speech, basically, and he breaks it down. These are all the things God did for you, all the ways that God has taken care of Israel. And then he says, and in response to that, in response to what God has done for you, you need to make a choice. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve the idols of this world? And so we get in the New Testament with John 3.16, we get what God has done for us, that love that he has for us, that 
unyielding, that never ending, that just that love that goes beyond anything we can ever imagine, like Raul was talking about in his prayer at the end of worship. And when we come to a point where we realize what it is that God has done for us, what he has given for us, then there's only one proper response for that. And in Romans, Paul goes for 11 chapters telling us, this is what God did for you, all these things. And then in Romans 12.1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So there's only one reasonable thing to do when we realize what God has done for us. And that's to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, which Jesus said was the number one commandment. And when you think about what Johnny was saying, the second part of that commandment is to love your neighbors as you love yourself. And if we truly love our neighbors as we love ourselves, then we're going to want to give them the good news of the gospel because we're going to want them to get this and we're going to want them to understand what God's done for them. So when I, I thought of all that, and I thought, awesome. So I, yeah, definitely, like, like Joshua. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And I said that, you know, last year, the year before, three months ago. But then life happens. And we, we, we start getting beat down. And our heart starts to become divided. We start to look at other things as more important than our relationship with God. And that's what I want to talk about today is an undivided heart. So too often, I think that what we do is we, we, we put our trust in Jesus, a part of our trust in Jesus, and the other part of our trust we put in our job or in our abilities or in our, um, our trinkets of this world, the things that we own, our possessions. And it's, it, so our hearts get divided because we're not putting all of our devotion into God. We're devoting our time, our energy, our talent to other things ahead of God. And God needs to be that number one thing that we devote our time and our energy and our talents to. Our lives need to be given over to God completely. He wants our whole heart. He wants an undivided heart. And I think one of the greatest problems with Christians today is a double heart. So when we look at idols, we tend to think idolatry in this day and age. We don't, we don't have little wooden or stone idols that we, we bow down and pray and burn incense and candles and, and offer our lives to. Um, idols live on, though. When, when God was talking to people in biblical times about their idol worship, they knew exactly what God was talking about because they made little idols. Um, so many of the things of this world draw us away to them. And what they did was, whether they were drawn away to intellectualism, power, pleasure, um, whatever it was, they, they, they would make a little wooden or stone idol to represent whatever it was that they were worshiping. Um, and I think in ancient times, people lived much closer to nature, and in, in that, they lived much closer to reality. Um, in our day and age, we are far removed from the reality of what's really going on. So in our smartness, we don't think that we worship idols. But there's different idols. For pleasure, there was Molech. Power, it was Mammon. Knowledge was Baal, which meant Lord. So when they were completely honest with themselves and completely honest with everybody else, 
Whereas we are not honest, we want to say we don't worship idols. So what they would do is if it was pleasure that they were seeking, they'd say, okay, well, my life is devoted to pleasure. I'm going to carve out this little wooden idol or this little stone idol, and they'd set up a little place in their house, a little shrine, and they'd burn incense and candles, and they'd get on their knees and they'd pray to this idol. And they'd offer their lives to this idol because what they truly sought after was pleasure or power or knowledge. So when God talks about idol worship in the Bible, we can look at ourselves and we can say, you know what? I do. I worship the same principles, knowledge, power, pleasure, the same principles that those little idols represented in ancient times. I now worship. I just don't make a little idol for it. But I still spend my time and my energy and everything I do chasing after these false idols. So I am still practicing idolatry in this world. And in the problem you know, with idolatry is idols never satisfy anyone. Never. We can never be satisfied by money or power or knowledge. No matter how much of it we get, we're always going to want more of it. So it's a never-ending cycle. The only thing that can truly satisfy us is devoting our hearts wholeheartedly to God. God is the only thing that satisfies. God is the only thing that will truly make us happy. So when you're a Christian and you, you have these idols, you've given part of your life where you're like, okay, you know, I want to serve the Lord and, and I want to be called God's servant and I want to be a part of this. But then you also give another part of your life where you're drawn to the world, to the lust of the flesh, to riches of this kingdom on earth. And that creates a divided heart. Um, the place that you've given to God is a small place oftentimes. It's not, it doesn't take up as much space as those places that you give to the other things in life. The man with the divided heart you will see in church every Sunday. But when it comes to the rest of the week, there'll be little time spent with God. There'll be little time spent in prayer. There'll be little time spent in the Word. There'll be little time spent doing things for God. He will become so engrossed in what he has to do. I do it. I get so engrossed in I've got to make enough money to take care of my family. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I don't have time to read the Bible this morning or I don't have time to pray. And, and what happens is in James 1.8 it says that a double man, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You become miserable. Last week when I was thinking of all this and Sunday night and I was praying and I was like, Lord, you know, why am I not out telling everybody the good news? Why am I not doing everything that I believe that you've called me to do? Why am I miserable, Lord? Am I not supposed to have the joy of God in my heart? And he, he said, you want to know? You're miserable because you're double-minded. Your heart is divided. You're not giving me everything. And it's like, oh. All right, Lord. So I guess uh, we got to back up a little bit here. And so I, I started putting this study together, and, and I, re- I was reading this book by Chuck Smith, and I'm like, okay, it just happened that night. I went home and read, and it was talking about an undivided heart. You know, I never started that thing. All right. Never mind. I never started my timer to see how long I've taken. <laughs> so the misery of divided heart. 
Anytime your heart is divided, you're going to be miserable. I live half the time in misery because I, I get so focused on doing all these other things and I don't want to give it over to Jesus. I don't want to give it over to the Lord. I, I give it to him and I'm cool for a few minutes and I'm like, good, I'm happy, I'm joyous and I'm free. And then, well, hold on, let me, I got to do that. Let me take care of that part of it. That, no, I, I got that part, God. And the Lord's saying, no, give it all to me. Give me everything. I want your whole heart. I don't want you just on Sundays. I don't want you just on Wednesdays. I want you from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. I want you to be in relationship with me. I want you to be speaking to me. I want you to be depending on me. And it's not easy, but if we look in Romans 12 where it says, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So even our devotion to God, God gives us. In His grace, He's going to help us to love Him. Because we don't have that kind of love in our hearts. We're not, we don't come equipped with that. Our nature is to serve the, the hardest idol to get away from. And that's the idol of self. And all we want to do is serve self. So we need to ask the Lord, have mercy on me, Lord. Have grace and give me that love for you. And when we begin to get our hearts united, then we begin to get out of that misery. We begin to have that joy. Um, a divided heart is lukewarm. You guys remember in Revelation when Johnny was teaching, if we turn to Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is talking to the churches, and he talks to the church at Laodicea. And he says in Revelation chapter 3, he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus talking. Jesus says, don't offer me lukewarm water. Don't just give me your Sundays. That makes me sick that you want to come in here and say I'm a Christian and just show up on Sunday. And the rest of the week, you don't want to have anything to do with me. You want to be out in the world doing your thing, serving the idol of self. And for me to, to read over that this week and to think about that, it, it hurts me. Because I'm like, Jesus, you, I'm making you sick with my idol worship, with my lukewarm offerings to you. I'm only giving you this little piece of my life and I want to take the rest and run with it. I want to serve the idol of self more than I want to serve my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do I truly understand the love that God has for me? And it makes me wonder. And you've got to get back and think, okay, where am I at? And it's always going to begin with prayer. We're always going to go back to prayer, and we're always going to have to come back to the Word of God. And that's when we start to, to focus on getting that relationship with God back on target. You, you might try and you know, split your devotion between God and something else, but... But it cannot be done. Jesus says you can't do it. In Matthew 6.24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And yet, how many of us seek to do just that? How many of us seek to show up on Sundays and to live our own lives the rest of the week? 
I don't know about you guys, but I know that I'm guilty of this oftentimes. So don't try juggling God and mammon. Don't attempt to offer lukewarm water to Jesus. Um, The ancient Israelites did that, and they wished they hadn't. If you guys have ever read the book of Hosea, man, he he comes down on them in there, but it's a picture of God's love for us, the whole book. But if you look, if you turn to Hosea chapter 10, you know, it's a big deal to God. We have to realize how much God detests a divided heart. And Hosea is, should be right after Daniel. So if we look in Hosea chapter 10, this is God's talking to Israel. Um, When ancient Israel became spiritually lukewarm toward God, the Lord didn't sit idly by and say, okay, that's cool, I've blessed you with all these things and I'm just going to let you run after other little gods with a small g and worship your idols. The Lord said in chapter 2, their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. For now they say we have no king because we did not fear the Lord. And as for a king, what would he do for us? They have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. This judgment springs up like hemlock in the furrows of the field. And then he just goes into this, all this stuff about how he's going to tear down their idols. And that's what the Lord's going to do to all of us. If we would have looked at, in Hosea's days, and took one of those Gallup polls, 95% of the people would have said they believed in the existence of God. 87% would say they attended a worship service sometime during the year. 90% felt religion was important to their personal lives. 90% would have said they believed that there should be prayer in public schools. Yet, almost 100% of the people's hearts were divided. If you saw the way they lived and the things that they were putting their devotion into, you wouldn't see the correlation between what they said and what they did. They used their surplus. They'd been blessed by God. And in that blessing, they used it to go after idols. Instead of using it to do things for God, they bought, let's see, what would they buy? Big screen televisions or big SUVs, um, mansions, they, they had to have these possessions. And instead of using what the Lord blessed them with to bless others, as he had called them to do, they chose to bless themselves and to worship the idol of self. And so they made little gods, little images of, of Molech and Ashtaroth and all these different idols. And they went after those things. And God said, hmm, this is not going to happen. I'm going to tear those idols down. I'm going to, you know, it's going to tear everything down. And if we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there's, there's only certain kind of treasure that's going to still be there in the end of, of time. And that's spiritual treasures that we lay up for ourselves in heaven. All the big screen televisions and SUVs and leather shoes that we can buy, they're not going to be there in the end. Only those spiritual treasures that you lay up for yourselves in heaven will be there. The rest is just wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to burn. If we look at 1 Corinthians three eleven through 15, it says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which has been built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. So it's not to say that you're not going to heaven because you only show up on Sundays. It's not to say that you're not saved, but you'll be saved through the fire. All this stuff that you've heaped up here on earth that you wanted to keep and you wanted to hoard for yourselves, it'll be gone. The only thing that'll be left is what we did for Jesus. So when Johnny was talking about out there evangelizing, doing the work for God, that stuff, those are going to be the things that we're rewarded for when we get to heaven. Those are the treasures that we're storing up in heaven. And God reserves the, the non-flammable stuff for those with undivided hearts. So as we come this morning and we, we're about to take communion today, and I've had to do this all week long, how is your heart, James? If I were to write a letter to God and I signed it, devotedly yours, James Marler, would God believe that? Because God can see through our words. In 1 John 3.18, it says, Let us not love in words or in tongue. God knows our hearts. God doesn't want a divided heart. God doesn't just want us one day a week. God doesn't just want us to show up and run off at the end. He wants us to give, us, give him his, our whole lives, our whole hearts, everything we have, he wants. And when we give him all of that, the blessing he gives us is beyond measure, beyond anything that we can heap up for ourselves here on earth. It's, there in First John, it says, talk is cheap. We're to love in deeds and in truth. So when Johnny was talking about evangelism, and I'm thinking, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing these things God wants me to do to the extent that he wants me to do them. And for me, this message was timely. I had other messages prepared for if I got to speak today. Good ones that I've been preparing for a while, but God said, no, you're gonna, you've got a message for yourself and you're going to get up and share that with everybody else. So for me, I had to learn this week, I need to turn my heart back to God. So what can I do when I have an undivided heart? How do we fix that? How do we make it right? Well, turn to Revelation chapter 2. And Jesus gives us a three-part prescription on how to fix our undivided hearts. So it's Revelation chapter 2, and we're looking to talk to the church at Ephesus. So if we look at... we got time to read all the verses. Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, 
and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So he's praising them for all the things they're doing. And I think sometimes we, we do these things for God and we think, okay, we're, we're on the right track, even though our heart is still going after something else. And then he turns to him in chapter 4 and says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You have an undivided heart. You're doing all these works and all these things, and yet your heart is not stayed on me. It's not singly set on me. So he gives the prescription. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. So remember, repent, repeat. This is the recipe for our undivided hearts. Remember the first works. When you first got saved, when you first realized the love that God had for you, what were you doing? Were you attending Bible study every Wednesday, every time the church door was open? Were you there? Were you going to worship services, serving at a you know, soup kitchen? Whatever it is you were doing when you first met Jesus and your heart was on fire for the Lord, remember those things. Repent. Turn around. You've turned around from those things. You're way out at sea now. You're floating somewhere else. Turn around again. Say, Lord, help me with my divided heart, Lord. I, I, I apologize, Lord. Forgive me for offering you lukewarm water, Lord. Forgive me for the coldness of my heart. Forgive me, Lord, for serving you while trying to serve myself at the same time, Lord. So we repent of what we're doing and we turn back toward the first things that we were doing and we repeat those first things. We get back to basics. We start again. We get back into the Word. We get back on our knees. We fall on our face and say, Lord, I know my heart has been divided. But as David said in Psalm 86, Lord, unite my heart, Lord. As we read... Remember, repent, repeat. This is the prescription that Jesus gives to the church at Ephesus. This is the prescription that Jesus gave to me to get my undivided heart back on track. And this, David said, when we look at Psalm 86 as we read this morning, we look at it and and David starts where? He starts with prayer. If I can get there quick enough. First thing David does is he gets back to prayer. We look at Psalm 86. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, with a small g, there is none like you, O Lord. So among my idols that I'm serving, there's none like God, the Lord, with a big G and a big L-O-R-D. None, nor are there any works like your works, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. We need to remember that God alone is God. Money, power, none of that stuff is God. And especially ourselves, especially that idol of self is not God. We are not our own. We have been paid for with a price. And there's only one proper response to that. It says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And when David asked for that, 
the Lord did that. And he says in verse 12, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. So when David asks for that united heart and God gives it to him, he begins to praise the Lord with all of his heart. And that's what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to remember our first works, to repent of our lukewarm Christianity, and to repeat those things we were doing in the beginning. I mean, it, it took, if you look at, at this, and as we go into due communion, I, I want everyone to sort of take that inventory, sort of look back over the week and say, you know, where was my time devoted to? What was I doing? Was I seeking the Lord wholeheartedly? Or was I seeking my own selfish gain? And that's what I've been doing all week. And that's the message that the Lord gave me last week. Um, if we just look how our relationship is with the Lord, we, we cannot sit on the fence. We have to be this or we have to be that. God wants to see our hearts totally toward Him. Single toward Him. White hot. The Lord doesn't want lukewarm. The Lord doesn't want Sunday. The Lord wants all of you. And Jesus took 11 men who had one heart to make him king. And with those 11 men, he turned the world upside down. Those 11 men altered the history of humankind more profoundly than any other group. Why? Because they had one heart to proclaim Jesus Christ as king. One heart. A united heart. Not a divided heart. And just imagine if we could have one heart to proclaim Jesus Christ as king to this community. To our workplace. To our neighborhood. To everyone we come in contact with. Uh, I, I have this man in my, my complex He's a little bit crazy, I think. I don't know. I haven't fully discerned about him yet, but his name is Lynn. And this man knows, he don't even need a Bible. He knows every verse, it seems like. And he was telling me this story. The more I talk with him, the more he just speaks in verses. But he's telling me this story about how he was a missionary, like in Africa or something. And, and he met this woman, and they were engaged. And, and she came to him one day, and she said, Lynn... Do you have to tell everybody about Jesus? Do we have to pray every day? Can we just have one day or just meet one person and just say hi and don't tell them about Jesus? And he said, no. We have to tell everybody we meet about Jesus. And I'm like, ouch. I don't tell hardly anybody about Jesus unless I've known you for a while and I think it's okay that I won't get too embarrassed. And I figure somebody out there has got to be an evangelist. I don't have that gift. so. And it just it, it made my heart just... I said, ouch, I'm not doing that. And here this man is willing to give up his fiance because she doesn't want him to introduce everybody he meets to Jesus. She doesn't want him to spend every day in prayer, every moment lived for the Lord. May God remove from us the double hearts we have. May he unite our hearts to make Jesus Christ king in order that we may be strong, that we might too have a profound impact upon our world.
Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that, that you speak to us still in this day and age, Lord. As for myself, Father, I, I ask forgiveness, Lord, for offering you lukewarm water, Lord. Forgiveness for the coldness of my heart toward you, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would unite our hearts, Lord, to serve you, to proclaim you to this dark world we live in, Lord. I pray, Father God, that we would just take this message to heart, Lord, that we would take this message to our homes, Lord, that we would take this message to our workplace, to our neighborhood, Lord, to everyone we come in contact with, Lord. We would say, have you met Jesus? Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what he's done in my life, Lord. So, Father, that is my prayer this morning, Lord. I thank you for this time that we have to, to hear from you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.